Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, and welcome to Not So Linear, a podcast that's here to help normalise conversation around grief and help you feel less alone in your own journey. I'm your host, Tamsin, and each week I'll be interviewing some amazingly strong people who share their own stories on how they've navigated life after loss. But don't worry, we'll talk plenty about finding happiness, what inspires us and helps us to grow. And whilst none of our journeys are so linear, what we do know is that it's better to get through it together. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 9, the penultimate guest episode of season 1. It's gone pretty fast, but I also am looking forward to a bit of a break, to be honest. I've absolutely loved all the people I've met through doing the podcast so far, and also all of the people that reach out to me over Instagram as well. It doesn't go unnoticed, so thank you very much for all of your kind words and supporting me throughout my journey. Today's episode is a good one. It's with James Roycroft, who is the podcast host of The Rut. Now, The Rut podcast is there to explore men's mental health. But today, James talks to me about losing his granddad. I first came across him when I was listening to one of his episodes with Simon Thomas, who, as many of you know from the grief community, lost his wife to cancer a number of years ago. But within that episode, James opens up about what it was like to lose his granddad and I was really keen to do an episode with him on this area because I've had many people say to me when they lost a grandparent, they almost felt a bit dismissed because I think in society, people assume grandparents are going to be somebody that, okay, maybe, yeah, they're not in your tight knit circle of family. So why should you be so upset? You know, old people eventually going to die. But what we come to realize throughout this episode and people that have talked to me about it before is grandparents can also be your replacement parent. You know, my Nana now, she is like a mum to me too. I lost my mum when I was 18 years old. So my Nana helps to fill a gap that's never going to be there again. And that's the same with you guys out there too. So I hope this does help you to realise that just because it's a grandparent, someone that's more elderly, it doesn't mean that the pain is any less. You are allowed to still have your grief and your grief is still valid. James speaks so highly and passionately about his granddad and it's so nice to hear. And I ask him what's the main thing that he learned from his grief. And he says it's to be open with your emotions. And he's such a believer in when it comes to your mental health, taking responsibility, making sure that you take the small steps, however tiny they are, to get yourself up and out of bed every day. He has so many wise words. He's done so many episodes with other people as well across mental health. So he's a great person to listen to for advice. So let me introduce you to James and I hope you enjoy. Thank you. And also make sure that you subscribe across Apple and Spotify and Google. And if you are an Apple, please leave me a review because the more reviews I get, the more it helps people find me. Thank you very much. And I'll speak to you guys soon. James, thank you so much for joining the podcast. How are you this morning? Thank you for having me, Tamsin. I'm very, very well. How are you? 
I am good, thank you. I am extremely lucky to be here in Sydney. I can't believe I've ex- escaped what has been a tragedy of a year for you guys back home. You are extremely lucky. Yeah, what I'd do to be in Sydney right now. Although in the UK today, it is 17, which is ridiculous. How have you been finding lockdown? Uh, ebbs and flows, really. I, I, I actually strangely enjoyed much the dismay of most people around me. Um, I enjoyed the first lockdown because it was summer and I coming off the back of being suicidal earlier last year, I was like, this is the perfect time to do absolutely nothing and recover. And so I just spent the entirety of last lockdown reading, starting my own podcast, just chilling out really. So I actually really enjoyed it. This this lockdown now, so we're speaking in uh, February like, and it's been like over five weeks, has been difficult. I've started two companies um, and starting two companies within lockdown is it's not easy. Um, but loneliness is killer, even though I, I feel a bit bad for saying that given my other half is in the other room. But it, it's a very different feeling being being having your other half with you every single day, but not being able to see your friends. And I was on the phone yesterday to a friend and we were discussing this. And we I said to him, like, how are you funny? And he was like, well, it, last lockdown last summer was fine because we could go sit socially distance in a park and drink beer. Now I can't do even do that. Otherwise I'll get frostbite. So I what, you freeze. Yeah. So where do we go from here? It's just never ending. So apparently we're going to be out of this by July. It's like, Absolutely crazy, right. isn't it? So James, let's get straight in. Yeah, let's do pod. this. So as you know, my podcast is all about grief. And today I wanted to talk to you about your granddad as we have, well, I've heard your podcast episode that you did with Simon where you talk really openly about your loss. So how about maybe you give a bit of an introduction into your own grief story and tell us a bit more about him? Yeah, let me go into my relationship with him. Um, he was plain and simply like my hero. Um, growing up, my dad, my parents, like incredibly hardworking. My dad had quite an anti, well, he had, a, he had a great job, but it, he worked relatively antisocial hours. So I didn't often see him as much as I'd like. So I think, um, the connection I had with my granddad was like, was unbelievable. I, I'm also the eldest child in the, in the family and he's got, he had five well, he has five grandchildren, so I'm the eldest. And so I think there's that special sort of elder connection that we had. Um, he specifically, I mean, he would take me to play rugby on a Saturday and Sunday. He'd come and watch. He'd be stood there in minus two with just a fleece on, like just, and you'd come off and you look at him and be like, oh my God, you're about to, you're about to die of hypothermia. Um, but he, he was just an amazing, amazing man, incredibly hardworking, very entrepreneurial, came as a, so I'm half Irish and he, he was Irish. Um, and he came over to the to England in the fifties. Endured loads of like um, abuse because of the IRA. Um, and and so yeah, he built up uh, two great businesses and like a property portfolio, which has helped me out with financially. So he he was just an amazing, amazing man, and so like so lucid even to the end. He was very, very with it, very interested in politics his like everything he he was he was able to coherently understand and 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 be with it so yeah um 
He died in 2017. And I, up until then, I'd never really experienced grief. I'd had like some, some periphery relatives, um, or distant relatives, probably better word to, to use there, die. But I, I never really had that sort of like emotional connection to them. And then he was 84. But his story is is a bit strange because he was like really fit and healthy. And then one Saturday, it was Saturday the 18th of November 2017, I was at England, Australia at Twickenham. And I got a text off my mum saying, oh, don't be worried, but granddad had a fall and um, he's in hospital and she was sending me pictures of him in hospital with his thumbs up. And I was like, okay, fine. I mean, he he looked, yeah, he looked a bit ill, um, but nothing to like be too, too worried about. And I think um, he, yeah, he'd never really been in hospital before, like never, ever been ill. He's the strongest man I've ever seen in my life. But yeah, he collapsed uh, and it transpires that actually he'd been quite ill for that whole week. Nobody knew. My mum, my grandma had called my mum. She'd gone round to the house. He looked like really ill standing there in front of her and he collapsed on top of my mum. And in that moment, he had a aortic aneurysm. So the kind of artery from the heart down to the stomach had burst. And uh, the problem is nobody knew and so he was finding when he stood up, he would get really, really dizzy because obviously the blood's draining away. Uh, but when he lay down, he was all right. So they just thought, okay, well, he just, he needs to take some time out. Um, he was in hospital and because he was lying down, he was, he was fine. He was lucid. He was, he was talkative. He was, he was all right. And then, um, I got back from England, from Twickenham, uh, about around about eight o'clock and my mum called me and said we've had an emergency call from the hospital we're going straight away and she said don't I don't think it's that serious but so I wouldn't I, you don't need to come but we're gonna we're gonna go and I think well, I listened to your first podcast and you that you did and you talked about the kind of feeling in the pit of your stomach that you kind of knew something was wrong and that's exactly how I felt I, I was like way over the limit as well like ridiculously over the limit having done many like, beers yeah <laughs> 10 pints of Guinness at Twickenham and I just knew I had to get to that hospital luckily it was only five minutes up the road I had to get to that hospital because I knew something was was desperately wrong so i literally got in my car drove um i remember sobering up immediately <laughs> and uh yeah drove f- five ten minutes down the road and i was just, i was literally in my car with on my steering wheel going wait till i get there to go granddad wait to get there wait till i get there yeah. and um yeah arrived at the hospital uh parked the car didn't pay got a parking ticket but that's doesn't matter um and <laughs> ran into the hospital and I remember running into the ward. It was just me and my grandma, my dad and my mum were sitting on the side and they were talking to the nurse. And all I remember is going into the ward and I could hear a defibrillator going. I had no idea it was him, but I could hear someone being resuscitated. And I was, I kind of brushed past it because I didn't think it was going to be him, obviously. And then I was like where is he can we see him and my mum said they're just they're just working on him a bit and just wait then I remember the nurse coming out and just being like really really sorry so I ran past her immediately 
And I was the first one by his bed, um, literally two minutes after he after he'd passed, and he was still warm. And yeah, we, there was this beautiful moment where he was still warm, and I could tell he wasn't quite gone. His heart had stopped, but he was still there for like that for like that one or two minutes where I was stood by him and. It was just I I I just had this two minute period with him where I was able to hold his hand before anybody else came, and I just said thank you and the best person I've ever met. And uh, yes, it's when you lose a hero like that, it is it is profoundly life changing. To this day, like a piece of me has gone that I will never, ever get back. I've accepted that. Um, I mean, he's still, he's my my screensaver in my phone, on my phone. Like he, I had this weird shrine to him in my bedroom for, for a long time, but it, we had <laughs> such a powerful, yeah, so any 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 women that stepped into my room were like, <laughs> to your granddad. What the fuck is that? <laughs> I, was, I was like, God, this guy, he was amazing, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's but, so nice you did that. Yeah, but, and the aftermath, you, this podcast is about grief. Grief is the weirdest, like, tumbling series of emotions that takes over your life in an instant. And the first phase of it for me was it was so debilitating. It was so destabilizing. I honestly was in a blur for the two weeks after he died. I could, the, the only memory I really have of two weeks after he died, because they had to do an autopsy and then, and, and then his funeral in the UK was two weeks later. But yeah, the only memory I have of that two weeks is having a load of people come around to our house, bringing food and, I'm just sat on my stair at the bottom of my stairs, just it, it like inconsolable and cannot, cannot speak just being alone. And, and that is really the only memory I've got. And, and that's really difficult because you're like, well, why, where did those weeks of my life go? But the, to be honest, time stood still. They went nowhere, even though they went somewhere. In that time, did you want to be alone? Did you feel like in those initial two weeks, you wanted to just be in your own thoughts? Um, I was very lucky that I had an amazingly supportive girlfriend at the time who really was like my scaffolding. And she, I, I didn't want to be alone. I, I I honestly didn't know what I wanted. I don't think you ever have any clarity I certainly didn't of like what on earth you want because this was a very, very new set of emotions for me. It was like somebody had stabbed me in the heart for God knows how long. Um, but I, I didn't want to be alone, but I also f- just felt alone. Like th- there was nothing anybody could do to bring him back. There was nothing anybody to say that could make it better. And so you kind of have to sit there with that level of grief, that level of uh, like trauma and just begin to work through it and people are how do you work through grief you don't (laughs) that's my answer you actually don't um it's just time and for some people it never happens some people never deal with their grief some people make peace with it i've made peace with it and i i've recognized it and i kind of i kind of know 
bits and bobs, but I'll never really get to the bottom of it. But it's one of the worst things I've ever, it's, it's more painful than dislocating my knee, weirdly. Like it just brutal. And the the problem with it is, I think, is that you you never ever get that that person back. And so, like, what? Yes, I've got loads of pictures, and I've got nice reminders. I've got his two watches by my bed, but I I don't get him back. And so, I have to live with that for the rest of my life. My mum, who is very close to him as well, has to live with that for the rest of her life. My brother and sister, and so, yeah, it it's just painful. Actually, painful all the time, you know. I think of him every single day without fail. And, yeah, it, it, it hurts. It's so true. Grief is such a painful thing to have to go through. You know, and as you say, it does get better with time. But then when you take the time to properly think about it, that pain can easily come back. And if you get too deep into it, it can really be, you know, quite an overwhelming emotion. Mm. And, and that's what I say in my podcast. It's a journey. I'm going to have to live with my grief for the rest of my life. You know, be a mum mm. without my own mum. Mm. My mum won't be at my funeral, uh, my, fu- my wedding. <laughs> she definitely won't be at my funeral. <laughs> Oops, you know what I meant. Yeah. Um, so going back to your story then, how do you think it's changed you? Do you think you've taken on a lot of maybe how your granddad would have been? Do you think about him and your life decisions and, and do you try and kind of follow his footsteps? Like what would you say you've, you've kind of taken from this experience so far? That's a great question. Um, what have I taken I think given that that grief was so what that that event was so traumatic like I've and it sounds really bad to say but there isn't there isn't much that will top that bar yeah my maybe my brother sister mum or my dad dying there there really isn't much that will top that in a weird way and so I think my understanding of what the process of grief looks like is much clearer Whilst there is, I was going to say earlier that grief is is kind of counterintuitive because you instinctively want to run away from it because it hurts and we are wired not to enjoy pain. But actually the best thing to do is to sit with it and is to take your time with it and is to begin to understand what this is all about and be comfortable with that. And I think um, that's what I've learned is going through that trauma is understanding that you have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I talk about this quite a lot on my podcast, but being comfortable with the uncomfortable gives you growth. And I I think that's one of the biggest things I've, I've, uh, I've come to terms with because his death makes me incredibly uncomfortable but I have to for I have to sit with it and I have to be comfortable with it um he was incredibly hard working as well and I think uh, I always took my upbringing for granted like I went to a great school um and like I I, I think I took a lot of my teenage years and the privileges that I had for granted and I think getting a bit older going through that experience of losing him has made me like indefinitely more grateful for the opportunity he he directly gave me as a result of his hard work growing up because he partly paid for my private school fees like that's that kind of thing has made me uh, incredibly grateful. And I think that that is critical. 
because now like I don't shy away from hard work and actually the only way you're going to get somewhere is, is through through that and so that although I, ha- I hate I hate that kind of life lesson um but yeah that, that's <laughs> what I've kind of probably taken is is just following his example really he, he was he was the an exemplary human being um in every sense like he had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people at his funeral and I read the eulogy in the UK and in Ireland and there was like four, five, six hundred people in this church. And I was like, oh, my God. Wow. And that, 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 that is the power somebody who is just an all round amazing man has on the wider society. So, yeah, it was um, that, that's probably what I've learned. Yeah, that's an amazing answer. And I think being able to have someone so influential in your life and being able to almost continue his legacy through what you're doing now is an incredible thing. I'm also really keen to know, you did say to me earlier that last year you felt at the point of suicide, you're in a really bad place. Mm. Is that anything to do with your granddad's grief or is that a totally different story? No, it's knowing what I know now. Um, about depression and not much that much anxiety but depression I think I probably suffered off the back of uh, his death in 2017 he died late 2017 so like early 2018 yeah that was difficult I kind of left my job as well and I, I, did, I didn't really deal with it that well so I think I think I, I my mental health definitely suffered that being suicidal last year was solely down to not being not talking about like my problems how I felt about my company's going the wrong way and yeah it, it was just to be honest my answer there Tamsin I don't really know because there there is part of me that does equate a, a little bit of what happened last year and, and also the the year before last because it was kind of it started in August of 2019 part part of me does think that I didn't really give myself any that much time to grieve and it took me a long time to actually process the fact that he wasn't he wasn't going to be around anymore so there, there could well have been parts of that uh, that were a problem I actually I'm a big advocate for therapy I've I do a lot of it myself and uh, the first therapist I had when I was beginning to struggle with depression her name is a lovely woman called Karen and um, <laughs> we we she's kind of like this hybrid uh, counselor hypnotherapist and um, we did some hypnotherapy work and he came up quite a lot in in my recovery, as it were, or how we, how I was trying to get out of my ruts at the time. And so perhaps there was an element of, of him that was still lingering, still lingering, like, well, what's the point anymore? He's not going to be here to support me. But like, so yeah, you, you might be right. I, I don't really know. Um, but I don't think I'll ever know. It is hard to pinpoint sometimes. It's like when I say in my podcast of my grief story, I think I was grieving for my mum when I went through depression myself, but she died like six or seven years before that. And I know I didn't grieve her, so it probably is that, but I think it's a many different factors linked together and then everything starts to pour out. Yeah. Yeah. Grief smacks you in the face when you're not really, when you're least expecting it. It really does. It like, it just kicks you in the balls continually in places where you're like, what the fuck? Like, how? Um, and for example, I, like I, I did some cool stuff with Alice Campbell last year, um, launching his book on depression. And all I wanted to do was sit down with my granddad and talk about it and be like, look what I've done. 
have a major proud. And I couldn't do that. I had to imagine in my head that he would be really proud. And so I started this like mini grieving process again. I was like, oh, this is crap. And it, it just, it hits you in all these different times when you're least expecting it. And that's why it's so shit is because it's not even like you can brace yourself for it and be like, yeah, right, this is coming, this is coming, I'm going to be strong. You can't. It's just like, oh my word. I'm very glad you're doing this podcast. I've had quite a few people on mine talk about grief. And I, I, grief is something that 7 billion of us go through. And that is extraordinary when you think about it. Every single person on planet Earth, and do you know what? Every single living organism on planet Earth. Well, yeah, every animal. Will, will go through grief in their own special way. And that is staggering. We talk about depression being great, but 7 billion, 7.2 billion people, God knows how many other living organisms, animals, insect, whatever, go through grief. And yet it is often an unprocessable emotion for so many people. And not talked about enough. And not, and it's not, often people talk about it with you for the first, let's say, three months where they really want to try and help. But at that time, I personally don't think people are ready for the help. They just need to be kind of not left alone, but it's so mind numbing and you just don't know how to feel or what to do. Like you just said, you need to be having support throughout the rest of your life. Mm. Mm. Not saying that person needs to support you every single day, but on you know major life events or mother's day father's day anything that that person's birthday or the anniversary of their death it's about being there with them on the journey mm. she won't mind me saying this but my other half she um lost her dad 11 years ago quite suddenly and um she didn't take a call from him uh, the night before he died and or the night he died and then obviously he died in the morning he died about midnight and um she blamed herself for his death she thought okay i could have been there for him anyway um but she feels like she lost five or six years of her life, three four five years of her life because she did not or she refused to process grief she carried on doing what she was doing and um, she had to sort her mum out who um was really struggling um and she she was training to but she was at law school and so she had no time and she felt like she lost like such a big chunk of her life because of grief until she sat down with a with a counselor the fantastic hillary hillary who she still sees now when i was suffering with depression she went back to get support but it was until that moment where she actually sat down and worked through the grief with somebody years later that she started to get back her life and that is it's so prevalent so many people lose huge chunks of their life. Some people never recover um, because we don't talk about it in the right way. We don't we don't express the emotions that are associated with it, and that's really sad. So I think uh, what you're doing with this podcast is fantastic. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And I'm sorry to hear about your partner's loss as well. I mean, she must be similar age to me, right? Losing a parent. No, she she's 34. Um, so she's quite, she, okay. so I'm 26 and she's 34. Yeah. She's still early 20s though when it happened. It's still young. 21. Don't expect she, she's 22. No, I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. And particularly for young people as well, it's so hard to find 
peers or friends around you that can help you through your journey. You know, when I was 18 when my mum died. I didn't have any friends really that had lost a parent. No. So being able to connect with someone, you feel more isolated because you don't know who to talk to. Mm. You've got me thinking of how we can solve this problem now. <laughs> how about you talk a bit more about the podcast? I'm more, I'm really intrigued to hear about what you've learned from it. You've spoken to so many interesting people about many different problems in life. Mm. What have you learned? Like, what's the biggest thing so far from the podcast that you've learned? Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah. It must be many. Yeah. So uh, for people listening who have no idea who I am, and that is absolutely fine because not many people do. I host a podcast called The Rut, which um, is a podcast on men's mental health. And um, I, I kind of I started it because obviously uh, we've spoken about previously, I was suicidal earlier last year. And um, I was looking for podcasts, which really discussed in a strange way as well. I appreciate this. A lot of people be like, well, why did you even want to know that? But which discussed like depression, like mental health, men's mental health in like quite a brutal way because that was the experience I was having I was listening to a lot of podcasts out there were like very blue sky thinking like okay yeah we can do this if you think your sky is if you think your mind is the blue sky and then you rise up I was like this isn't connecting with me I want to know why somebody felt so shit and stayed in their bed for two weeks and it and how they got out of it because that's what I want to do I'm a problem solver and I was like I want to solve this problem so I started the podcast and uh, because I I wanted to get men talking about their mental health. I wanted to get people talking about the most like intricate parts of their life because I think when you begin to do that, you you liberate your ability to kind of process these emotions. You can you can begin your process of recovery when you when you just get it out there because the support you feel and you get is like unbelievable. So yeah, we're in season two now, and we've had some really really cool people um, on. And, um, I'm very very privileged to have done some amazing episodes with some amazing people. And the biggest thing I've learned is oh, I don't even know the biggest thing. Cute. Again, I keep, yeah, I I keep coming back to this. Like the people who I've had come on the podcast are incredibly brave, but they've all been comfortable with their uncomfortable truths and they've all been vulnerable with their truth. And going through that process has allowed them to heal and and has allowed them to really uh, begin the process of recovery. And this is why I, I encourage people to just talk openly about it because it is so powerful. There's no shame. No, there is no shame. There's no shame no. in what we're saying. No, I, I talk about it far too openly, um, although there isn't really a far too openly about it because it, it is my truth. So being vulnerable with your truth is like, it's like the biggest thing you can do. But also the people that have, I think, got a grip with their mental health and I I actually put myself in this bracket now um, because I've worked so hard on it. it, is mental health is all about taking a lot of responsibility for, for, for yourself. Um, this is often a, a bit like controversial to say, but it really is. Until you take control, uh, what, so, and, until you take responsibility for how you're feeling and for where you're at, then you can begin to work with other people to take control or take control yourself. And that means you have to be incredibly curious about what's going on. And that means that you have to be very open-minded and you have to talk about it and you have to begin the process of healing. And that is something I see so many people 
not do. Which is why the people that come on my podcast and also the people I talk about and, and, and people who listen and then open up without even realizing it, they take, they're taking responsibility for their mental health and they can get to grips with it. And that is one of the biggest things about, I think, about mental health. If you don't take responsibility, then you're going to go round and round in circles. And that is one of the biggest things I've learned is like, slow down. When I suffered with depression, like I had my last like bout of depression was like, it was a month long. It was last October, just gone. And I had changed my to-do list from let's go and build an amazing podcast and build three companies and whatever to let's get out of bed, go for a wee and brush my teeth and do that continually for like a couple of weeks and force myself yeah. to sit there, read a book. Don't, More steps. Yeah, don't worry. That to-do list, as long as your arm doesn't matter, none of it matters. <laughs> and, um, and, and yeah, that's, that's one of the, that, that, that's been a revelation. I'm kind of going now into like how to how to get to grips with your mental health, <laughs> but I think it's quite no, it's, it's quite important. It well. links, yeah, it does. And it does. Um, uh, ask me another question. I'll come back. <laughs> Thinking about winning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, you made me lose my train of thought now too. I think you know everything you're saying is just so relatable. There's something so powerful about getting yourself out of a dark place and then turning it into something positive, and that's exactly what you're doing. Mm. And now opening up, talking to other people on your podcast is another way of you healing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, every single podcast free therapy. Oh, it is. It's free therapy for me, and also you'd be amazed how many people say it's free therapy for them. And I, I was genuinely considering for a while actually turning into a therapist. Yeah, but. It's a lot of emotions. It's a lot gone as well. Isn't a lot. It? Yeah, you've got to detach yourself um, a lot. But yeah, it, it is. Uh, I don't think I could do that. No, no, I can't. I often want to solve people's problems, of which a lot of people, a lot most therapists <laughs> do. But I, it's just. Um, it's, You'd it's be really, like going around to their house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd, I'd want to sit with them and be like, right, we, we're going to, we're going to make you better. I can't do that. Uh, well, actually, I've got a question for you. Why not yeah, so linear? Why is it called not so linear? Yeah, because. Well, for me personally, my journey isn't linear. And whenever you Google or look at things about grief, it always says that your healing process is not linear. Over a couple of months or a couple of years, you could go through such completely different emotions, like how I even did myself, going through the stages of denial, going through stages of complete and utter depression, and then going through stages where you feel amazing. It can literally change, but I know for me personally, mine is going to continue like this because there'll be times in my life, such as maybe when I have my own children, I could start grieving for my mum again as I know I, I will become a mum and will I feel different and my grief is going to change. I think it's going to keep evolving as time goes by. Mm, very interesting. Um What's your thoughts? Do you think, did, does it not like ring true or you just wanted to delve into no, your I, name? No, I'm just curious. I just, I, I'm, yeah, I like, uh, I think, yeah, when you dig d deeper into it and, and delve into it, it, it is true. It is such a roller coaster. There's no equilibrium. It is constantly up and down. You get messages being like, yeah, just think of the good times. And yeah, you, you do think of the good times and then you're yeah. and then like a week later you're you're sat there on the end of the bed on the end of your bed thinking fucking hell I really really want this person back in my life and, and that's really yeah. shit 
So there's there's rarely an equilibrium to it. And actually it can be quite frustrating when people say to you, I'll think of the good times because they're dismissing how you feel. And that's one big thing I've learned through doing this podcast. We want to be heard. We don't want to be dismissed. Mm. I've got a question for you as well, which I ask on my podcast, which you will have heard at the end. But I wonder whether you can relate it to grief, which is what? what's one lesson you've learned in your life uh, that you know is true, but you kind of hate? You know what? It is quite similar to what you said. Being able to take yourself to that place where you feel the emotion that you've been pushing aside for so long. Anybody who knows me over the last 10 years, I bottled up my grief for so long, literally didn't start talking about it properly until like two years ago. You know what? I'm not afraid to say I have anxiety. I'm not afraid to say I'm actually having a bad day. I think that is where it really makes a difference. But like you said, let's be uncomfortable. I will help so many people by showing my true feelings by doing that. I do think your podcast helps so many people out there, particularly men. I know they're your audience, but there's probably going to be loads of women that listen there's, to it too. Do you know what? There's there's a, there's a shitload of women that listen to it and I didn't even realise. But yeah. like the big thing for women is actually they, they either want to understand what the hell is going on in men's men's minds because we are such a weird breed and and <laughs> breed of people yeah. we are such a bizarre <laughs> species and we are often so stupid with how we think about our, <laughs> our own mental health our thoughts from other planets yeah honestly we're all most men are on a different planet with their emotions and that we need to change and i think this whole conversation about masculinity is is often such a fucked up world that we're like oh my god so there's loads of Uh of women that listen to it and they're like oh right okay that's why he was doing that and it's like (laughs) wow okay yeah improving relationships as well via the rut pod (laughs) (laughs) yeah maybe start your own app yeah exactly Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. It's been amazing. This is why I love doing the podcast as well, because I've met so many cool, interesting people that I never would have met without doing it. Oh, I'm the same. I have built relationships with some people that uh, on the face of it, I thought I'd never, ever be friends with ever. And um, yeah, off the back of that, I've I've basically built a whole new friendship group and it's just opened yeah. and expanded my entire world, which is just wonderful. So yeah, you're at the start of this journey and keep going. And uh, it's, it's yeah, really cool. So, to you. So, so yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Not So Linear podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review across Apple, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Thank you.